You're listening to audio from Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you'd like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. So today we're going to be looking at this beginning. But before we jump into that, I'm going to be doing somewhat of an introduction to the series, and then we're going to be looking at the beginning, Genesis 1. And uh, so that seems like a pretty decent place to start in this uh, very large, long, uh, complex story of the Bible. And so as we look at this series... Um, I'm just gonna be looking at Genesis. We're gonna be walking through different passages. And, and so before we look at the series and, and, and jump into it today, uh, I'm gonna pray and uh, we're gonna just go to God. And I'm just, uh, and then we have communion as well today. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to kind of bring the body together. It's a wonderful day. It's beautiful outside. And uh, I know some of you, I even talked to, you're itching to go to the ocean or the beach or the lake right after here. And, and it's just a wonderful time. We love summertime in New Hampshire. It doesn't get any better than that. And so, so let's pray and thank God for this day. God, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful day that you have made. Lord, we look outside and we cannot help but see the beauty of creation and it has it reflects the beauty of the creator. And God, we are grateful that we have just been reminded to love like you love because you have loved us first. And so, so Lord, help us to now love our neighbor as ourselves. So Lord, we, we are reminded these things and taught these things. Yes, so much of what is in your word is, is there ready and waiting to be unpacked. Help us, God, to be hungry, as your word says, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And God, that when we come and pursuing truth, you will show us yourself. You will reveal yourself to us. And so God, help us not to feel as if you or God's word is this mystery that is too difficult for any person to understand, but rather something that we all can come into the presence of God and see. Or that we can all come to your throne. We can all open up your word. We can all have a relationship with the creator because of what Jesus has done, now living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, we, we come today as a, as a body, as a family, spread out all over the place, yet gathered here as well, so we join our brothers and sisters all over the world that are coming before you and glorifying your name today on your day. We're thankful to be in this house today. Lord, teach us something new from your word, Remind us of what we need to be reminded of and encourage our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think I'm gonna begin by just reading our passage and then I'm gonna do a little bit of an introduction. In Genesis 1, verses one through five, we're gonna read this morning and then we'll get into that towards the second part of the message here. But Genesis 1, It's fitting for us to just read this at the beginning as we think about the story of the Bible and how it begins here. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light 
was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The story of the Bible is obviously the emphasis of this entire series as we look at the grand story. A word that I've used many times here is this word meta-narrative, this idea of a large, grand, over, wide-sweeping narrative, a storyline. The, the entire big picture, the zooming out of what's going on in this amazing book and really also what's going on in the story of our entire lives. In, in college, I, I took a course on the uh, French Revolution. It was one of my favorite courses and i just very interested in history and uh, the course had a unique way of going about uh, the tests. I was a little nervous going into it because I had heard that this is how the tests were done. Uh, but the teacher was brilliant and the professor would teach throughout the week. You'd take notes or throughout the first couple of weeks and then the test would come. And after you learned about all the different characters and a different variety of events and dates and certain events that took place, uh, the teacher would come and the test would be passed out, except the test wouldn't be passed out. It would be one question written on the board and that was your test. You had to write an essay <laughs> and your essay was then graded. And it was frightening the first couple of times because usually you're used to you know, filling in the bubbles, A, B, C, or D. And if you don't guess, what's the most common guess? I think the most common guess is C, by the way. I've done that many times. So you just fill in C because more than likely or not, it's gonna be C. And so you, you, you have, can't guess. And it's very clear, it's very obvious in an essay test when there's only one question to the extent of your knowledge. It's very clear. Uh, you can't um, fake it in an essay. Uh, you can try. Or often what I found is I had a really good beginning and flubbed the middle and tried to nail the ending. So hopefully if they fell asleep in the middle of the essay, you know, they, they would feel like, oh, that ended pretty nicely, you know? And uh, you throw in some names, you throw in some connection points and you try to tie it all together. And so when they would ask the big why questions of why this or that happened in the French Revolution, it was, it was often very difficult that if you didn't really had a grasp of what was going on in the storyline, if you didn't really grasp all of that, you weren't able to truly communicate what was actually happening. And so I think that's very thought-provoking when it comes to our heart and mind and our understandings of the big questions of life, the whys, why are we here? What are we doing here on this planet? And why is it that we come to church? Why is it that we have communion or do this event here on a Sunday? Uh, why is it that we do the things we do? These are often detailed, very nuanced questions that we might ask with nuanced answers. And in, in a modern world today, it's important to think about why we do the things we do. And I think often those answers are, are built into understanding the story of what God has done from creation till now and where he's leading us. And that helps kind of define the path we're on and helps encourage us as to where we ought to go and give us answers to the questions that we're seeking. I think if we think about too in many of these questions, Many of us are, we live here in this country, the 
And yet if I asked you, what is the, really the ideal of America? What is the embodiment story of America? What is America all about? And if I asked each one of you what America is about, you might have different questions. And then especially with today in our country, what we see our country has become, whether that's positive or negative for you and your viewpoint, what you see our country has become, where we are today, often where we are today is because of where we have come from. What is it that we were about then and what is it that our country is about now? How did we get to this point? And when you were to take a history class, if we just taught you random stories about you know, George Washington cutting down a cherry tree you know, and uh, a variety of other stories, maybe taught you about the Declaration of Independence and then we skipped over to the Vietnam War and then uh, we, we skipped over to 9-11 and the towers following and then I gave you a one question answer uh, uh, essay test. What is the history of America and what is America all about based on those four stories? You just, there's a lot of things we skipped over. There was a lot of, a lot of events and people and presidents and leaders and situations and, and issues that took place at the beginning of our country in the middle of our country and where our country is now. There's a lot of things we missed and so how can you give, a, give an understanding of what America is about if you don't even know some of the key players, the key events the key situations, the key wars, the key presidents, the key documents that frame and form our constitution to, and our, really the constitution of our country today. How is it that we would be able to answer those questions? And I think that can be applied right to us in church. We come and we know names of people. We know the Abrahams and the Moseses. Uh, we know the Jesus and the Pauls. We know these people, but yet, how is it that they connect? What is the Old Testament all about and why is it that that's like most of the Bible and yet we only focus on the New Testament? How is it like they connect old and new? Is that one not really need to be paying attention to it and, and, and what is the New Testament? And then how does all of this old stuff fit in today? How is it that I apply this today and walk in it today? And so some of it begins just simply having a, a basic understanding of God's word and a basic understanding of how the Bible is made up of. I had a really enjoyable time the last couple of months when we, when we were able to teach that conference that some of you were able to come to, the How to Study Your Bible workshop. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we'd love to do another one sometime, and maybe we will, because it's one of those things that allows us to focus on, okay, how is it that I have this Bible in my hand, and, and how is it that I actually encounter this thing? What, what, how is it that I go about studying it and reading it and understanding it? And the Bible isn't just like your traditional book, right? Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And as you read left to right, at the end the story works itself out. It's a book of many books. Bible really just means the book. And it's more of like an epic, a giant story, an epic novel like a Beowulf or a, a war and peace, Brothers of Karamazov or the Odyssey and the Iliad with tons of characters and tons of plots and subplots that work out a, a large grand narrative, a storyline. But this book was written in like three different languages across like three different continents, centuries of different time periods, some millennia of cultures separated from ourselves today through different cultural changes and different genres of writing, of history, of poetry, of of all kinds of things, a very unique po of writing of, called the Gospels, these kind of first-hand accounts of one person, four different people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It can be very confusing when you're trying to understand the Bible, 40 different authors, 66 different books. And yet, 
many authors, you could say, in our theme here, many different screenwriters, and yet one producer, (laughs) one author of God, as he, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the scripture that we have today. Whatever definition uh, you may have of that, how vital and important it is to know that we encounter and get to know not just a book to study a book for intellectual sake, but that we study a book that has been inspired by God that allows us to understand and know the creator of the universe through it. That through the Holy Spirit working through this book, we can have an understanding and have a relationship with God. This church today is built around, formulated around the foundations of the scripture that is taught, that is read, that we sing every Sunday. A scripture that not just I have and release to you on a Sunday, but that you, every single one of you, can have in your hand and study on your own. That is a novel concept throughout history, and we stand in a unique time period in history that we have multiple copies of the scripture. We have multiple ways to understand it. We have ease of access to this beautiful, amazing revelation of God. And as we study God's word in English, we also have a formulating this understanding of the ancient texts as well, of Hebrew and Greek, and, and we study some of the background and the history of how we get to have what it is that we have today. As we study languages, we study all of the ancient culture to understand how it was in Jesus' time. What was it like to be a Jew underneath Roman conquest? What was it like to be a Jew living in Babylon under the exile? And as we study all of these things and compare them and build our understanding of God and the Holy Spirit reveals these things to us as we walk in relationship with him. But we pause for a second. We pause and we think to ourselves just for a moment. For those of us in church, this might seem very normal. We come in. The pastor gets up and reads from a leather-bound book, (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of year old text. This isn't normal, (laughs) right? I mean, what other thing do you do that is like this? And in your day-to-day life, when is it that you're breaking open scripture texts from other languages and studying something every day, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, you know? There's not really many other things in our entire life that, is, that are like or similar to what we do here. What other things do you devote yourself that isn't, that isn't just so currently being written but that has been established for centuries? This is just a strange thing at some level, right? Can we just at least admit that at some level, what we do at church is in some level very foreign to what we do on a daily basis being devoted to an ancient text. You know, even just saying that to a friend sounds kind of strange, right? And yet it isn't a text. It's not a book that we're being devoted to. We're being devoted to the word of God that reveals God, our creator, and our savior. It is something that is old. It is ancient, and yet it is something that is current and relevant and transforming. It is in that unique connection with the scripture and through the Holy Spirit that we experience what it is that we do every week at church and that we are doing every day in our scripture and our personal Bible study. And yet so it's so freeing to know that something so old and something so as we read about in the beginning that we now can encounter God through it not in the beginning but here today in 2021. It's incredible. And like I said it's freeing. Because yes, as a pastor, I am an elder. I am 
my job description is in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus as it describes uh, the, the position of an elder and a pastor to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to lead, guide, pastor, and shepherd the church. This is things that we find in the scripture, and yet it's freeing to know, so freeing to know of the priesthood of all believers that we all stand here together. I'm not better than you. There is a, there's a sense that every one of us can have a copy of the scripture and get to know God for themselves. That, that's a, that's a freeing thing that I would say would be hard pressed for any other religion to compare itself to this. That we come in here today on equal playing field and we can come today and bolster one another, encourage one another, equip one another, teach one another, love one another, and bear one another's burdens. It is in that amazing diversity and yet unity that we find ourselves as the church, the body of Christ, the living, breathing body of Christ, the church. And so the story of the Bible includes ourselves and yet includes us into a story much bigger than ourselves. It includes us into a a timeline, a narrative that we aren't the first people to read and study this, thank the Lord. We're not the first people to be included into the family of God. Our history goes back thousands of years and we share with you and I today, we share with Abraham in his family and lineage. (laughs) And that's why the story of the Bible is so fascinating. It's simple that my children can begin to understand the gospel and the story of the Bible, and yet it's complex, that as I study God's word every single day, I feel like I, the more I study it, the less I really understand and know. There's so much more out there. And so as I try to say, oh, well, I'm gonna do a long story short, I'm just gonna boil down the, st- the story of the Bible like one sentence. I was like, that can be challenging. You have this idea of creation, redemption, fall, or fall, redemption, new creation, and sometimes we can oversimplify things or, or, under, or do it undersimplified, I guess you could say. And so, for me, the story of the Bible are, are a variety of things. There's so many themes in the Bible. Sin and salvation or heaven and earth, the themes of light and dark that run through the scripture of good and evil, this idea of, of exile and exodus, this idea of Israel, following Israel and the family of God and Abraham, the church here and uh, the power of God versus the gods of the world, this idea of the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man, the garden theme that runs from the very beginning in Genesis, that from garden to garden we're being brought back again one day in Revelation to the garden Uh, from temple to the new temple, from the washing and the cleansing. There are themes, there are sub-themes, there's a variety of ways to trace the story of the Bible and we're gonna be looking at a whole bunch of different ones as we go. But the story of the Bible, in some of my words that I tried to put it in, was the story of the Bible is ultimately the story of God. Not necessarily me first, I'm included in this story and and that humbles me, right, As as a human. The story of the Bible is not just a story about me, it's a story of God redeeming humanity back to himself by using Israel as the vehicle, delivering Jesus to restore the kingdom of God through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the best I could do to come up with the the story of the Bible. I'll read it one more time. The story of the Bible is ultimately the story of God redeeming humanity back to himself by using Israel as the vehicle to deliver Jesus to restore the kingdom of God through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a story about God and it's a story that points to Jesus as the solution for the problems that we have created. 
We are included in this story and it's this amazing story of a variety of characters and watershed moments and inciting moments and yet what we find in this amazing story is it does have a beginning. You know, every fairy tale story, right? How does it begin? Once upon a time, right? Once upon a time. And that's how we find in an amazing beginning of time. An incredible passage in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, or the the land, if you would, was without form and void. It was, as you could say, it was in a chaotic sense. There was this chaos, and the darkness was over the face of this deep, this abyss, this chasm, this chaotic water, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said his word. He spoke, let there be light. Can you imagine this for me for a moment? You have to you have to think through this with me. It's almost one of those exercises that if you've ever done it, you it hurts your brain. Think about infinity. <laughs> just for a moment, and your brain just it just starts like seizing up, you know? This is what we find in the very beginning of the Bible. Think with me of what it was like. For there to be nothing but God. Close your eyes and imagine what is it that you're thinking of, right? We're having a very meditative experience here. <laughs> what, what is it that you're, ex- or you're thinking? What is it that you see? See, the problem is we see things. We see a color. We see something. And yet, we cannot fathom the beginning. God, the origins of who we are. We have a beginning, therefore it is almost outside of ourselves to even imagine something that has no beginning. I I couldn't really begin to try to explain this and so I found someone who's much smarter and much better at explaining these concepts that I'm feeling. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this and he says, I hope you stick with me in this quote. I found it very helpful, but sometimes the way Bonhoeffer writes, you have to read him a couple times, but I won't have the time today to do that. But Bonhoeffer says, the place where the Bible begins is one where our most impassioned waves of thinking break. They're thrown back upon themselves and lose their strength in spray and foam. The first word of the Bible has hardly for a moment surfaced before us before the waves frantically rush upon us again and cover us with wreaths of foam. The Bible should speak of the beginning and it is that beginning that provokes the world and provokes us. For we cannot speak of the beginning. Where the beginning begins and where our thinking stops, there it comes to an end. Yet the desire to ask after the beginning is the innermost passion of our thinking. It is what in the end imparts reality to every genuine question we ask. We know that we can continually have to ask about the beginning and yet that we can never ask about it. Because why not? Well, because the beginning is the infinite and because we can conceive of the infinite only as what is endless. And so as what has ultimately no beginning because the beginning is freedom and we can never conceive of freedom except in terms of necessity and need, needing to be freed and thus as one among others 
but never as one thing that utterly precedes all other things. It is either the evil one who speaks or that other one who speaks, the one who has been the truth from the beginning and the way of the life and the one who was in the beginning, the very God, Christ, the Holy Spirit. No one can speak of the beginning but the one who was in the beginning. It is that no one can speak of the beginning except for the one who was in the beginning. And so it is in that we read of this beginning that we are startled in our finite sense in our creation, in our beginning. We struggle to come to grips with the fact that we weren't the beginning. But there was a God who was there before the beginning. And it is in that beginning that we experience God. Scripture says he is the Elohim. We are introduced to him at the very first words of the Bible. All civilizations have done this from the beginning of time, trying to establish an origin story, trying to give a meta narrative or a grips to our existence and our finite sense of where did our beginning start. Every culture on the face of the planet has been trying to write their story of their beginning, whatever it's a Big Bang, whatever it might be. Is it a primordial soup? I was reading something out re- recently about this beginning of matter. Where is it that matter originated? And they said it matter seemed to have begun in this water-like chaotic sense that when the Big Bang happened, there was this water everywhere that eventually spurted itself into a primordial soup as it would be that from life and atoms then uh, emerged from it, you could say. Okay, I don't really know where, right? But it's this sense of these things are challenging. The Babylonians, in which the people of God, the Jewish people and the Hebrews would have been very familiar in the Mesopotamian region, the the Semitic languages and those places, they often, you can look up in archaeology and history and find their origin stories where in the Babylonian stories you find this God of Marduk, Marduk has, has um, slayed the chaos monster and, and divided the chaos monster, which is this serpent-like dragon in the waters and split them into two, creating the sky and the earth. And it is from that that Marduk rise victorious. And so the Babylonian gods, the chief god was Marduk, who was the creator of all things. And yet in that origin story, and almost in every origin story you find in other cultures, there is this chaotic sense of something bringing order. But often it is brought through order in violence the stories that I read and study in other cultures like this is often through one slaying something else in a violent way there's order brought about of some sorts of what we experience today and yet in the Hebrew story it's very different in our story it's very different that God in his abundance in his peace in his goodness brings the world into an existence it's a very different beginning that God, ex nihilo from nothing, brings the world to exist. He speaks it with his word. You could say he barely lifts a finger. (laughs) In God, there's no lack. In God, there is only abundance. Therefore, it is not that God, as like a fountain who needs the ground to overflow it, but rather a fountain that is overflowing in his abundance has blessed the world by overflowing from his abundance of goodness, grace, and mercy. He abounds and overflows in life and therefore cannot help but create what is good is what we experience on the first page of the Bible. You'll find tov, 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 the Hebrew word for good, 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 good. 
God is self-sufficient. He did not need us, but out of his goodness and out of his abundance, he created the world and us. It is out of the Trinity that we experience him. In the first pages of the Bible, we encounter the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. God in relationship abounded and spoke in ease and then created people made in his image who were made to reflect the relationship and the character of the triune God. This story is a very compelling story. It's a, it's a beginning and a story because it isn't something far removed but it's something that includes you and me for we are introduced to God at the first words and yet in the first chapter Chapter one and chapter two, which then kind of gives an inside look at chapter one, we see that we ourselves are found on this page as well. This is a story also of us. The story isn't just about someone in the past, an Abraham Lincoln or a George Washington or that ancient civilization over there, but it's a story that captivates us today because this is also our story. This is our beginning This gives us meaning today as to our purpose even today. And so this is God, the story of God and the story of his creation. It starts with God doing something. In the beginning, God, what? Created. And he created good. He created all that is tov, good. I also don't think that bug is very good. I just had a fly cry. He's trying to distract us. Let's focus, right? Creating, good. Chris Bruno in one of his books on this topic says, so at the very beginning, we meet God who is able to create everything that exists with seemingly no more effort than it takes for you or me to tie our shoes. (laughs) He creates day after day and the first day, the second day, he spoke and the seventh day, he rested. This creative God who is also a powerful God. We are introduced to Elohim who is extraordinarily powerful and extraordinarily good. This is where it gets personal because if God exists and is extraordinarily powerful, what are we then going to do about it? How is it that we reflect in in part of this image. How is it that we respond to this God? Yes, we can live like God doesn't exist. We can live just with our head in the sand or we can live just denying all of a higher power above us over ourselves, but we can come also into grips with that, that the word of God and the scripture and all of creation boast of God's handiwork. And so it is when we come to grips with this God that God's majesty, is, there is great mystery and power. It is awe-inspiring within us because God is holy other, you could say. We experience a God who is not like us. He speaks and it happens. And yet we experience a God who is very similar is in a sense we are his, made in his image. How is it that we then reflect this image? And so there is a God who is so holy other than us that it is awe-inspiring, you could say terrifying. It is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom that we then find our place on this planet. I think therefore I am or I think therefore God is, right? God is the beginning to all that we are today and that demands my attention. 
That demands me considering for a moment my place here on this planet. That demands for me, even if you don't believe in God, it at least demands you considering the possibility that there is one. And if there is, what does that do for your life? How does that alter and change what you do with your life? And the story of the Bible fits all of those things together and so what we see is that God is powerful. He creates what is good. In fact, in Genesis 1, 31, it says God saw everything that he made, everything that he made and, and behold, it was very good. It was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. In fact, we compare that to the New Testament. First Timothy 4, 4, for everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. First Timothy 4, 4. Everything God creates is good. God the Father creates, the Holy Spirit is hovering above the waters there, bringing order out of the chaos, creatively and active in creation. And then we find the third person of the Trinity or the second person of the, of the Trinity, we find that Jesus Christ in the New Testament is there in the beginning as well. Colossians 1, a New Testament book, says he is the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together and consist. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It gives glory to Jesus that in everything in this world, Jesus would be preeminent, glorified, exalted, high and lifted up. This is a story of God, of Jesus, and our worshiping and glorifying Jesus as our Savior. This God, once upon a time, in the beginning God created and it was good. It was all Good. And yet, we do know that as we bring this to a close, we know that there are things in this world that are not good. (laughs) And so, how is it that God creates what is good, and yet I experience on a daily basis things that are not good? There is grave wrong, injustice, evil in this world. So, how do we? rectify those two things. And so I believe I'm gonna look into that next week, (laughs) the fall, and how things went wrong. But I think by looking at our origins and at our purpose and why we are here on this planet, we are here to glorify that God who is preeminent above all. We are here to glorify God who has created all things. For God says in Isaiah 43, seven, everyone who is called by name by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We are made in his image, and in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, we find that we are created for the glory of God, so that whatever we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. This is our purpose. This is our reason for existing and being. It is to glorify God, but what does that mean? Well, we find in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, We're here to glorify God, but we're here to work. I don't know if you were really hoping to hear that today. I was really hoping to avoid work till Monday, you know. But we find that ourselves, in the very beginning of the Bible, we're actually doing something. We're working from day one. 
In Genesis 1.26, the scripture gives us a mindset of why we're here. The Bible says we have been created by God to glorify him, yes, but God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have authority, dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and everything that creeps, that creeps on the creepy, creepy, crawly things, right? Everything. Let them have dominion. Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and what? Subdue it and have dominion. This is the first sense of kingdom that we get in the scripture. Have this kingdom over the fish and the sea and the birds and the heavens and over everything that living that moves on the earth. Let them, the people, the men and the women, let humanity have dominion. Genesis 2 zooms into that story that's been given in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 verse 5 says when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and get this and there was no man there was no human to what to work the ground there was no human to work the ground in Genesis 2:15 Skip down to Genesis 2.15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. We find that in the very beginning we were given purpose, we were given mission to work on behalf of the Creator to exercise God's power and authority, authority on the earth as his ambassadors, as his, you would say, viceroys, to work with God in his creation to reflect his image of creation and power and dominion on the planet, on this earth. We were made to rule. We don't always think about that today, especially for we often try to rule with power in our own ways, in our own, uh, in our own definitions of power and authority, which creates sin and havoc on the world, rather than doing it the way God would have it be done. J. Richard Middleton says the fundamental task is conceived in rather mundane terms as responsible exercise of power on God's behalf over our earthly environment. It is in our ruling on God's behalf in creation that we can find that we glorify God. This is why our work, our responsibilities, when we create tov and we do what is good and we use power at our job and in our families and our relationship, it is when we do it in the right way according to the righteousness of God that that gives glory to God. We don't just give glory to God when we come and worship him in song. That is one way. You give glory to God when you righteously and with humility and with grace and mercy operate in your life in every area of influence that you have by establishing order, by establishing tov in your workplace, in your home, in your family, you build the kingdom of God and you spread God's rule and reign wherever you go. This is made possible now because God's kingdom has come and it is now working and yet not yet complete. But it is that we begin the process of the new creation when we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. And we, in our areas of influence, in your job, in your workplace, in your environment, in your relationship, in your family, in your kids, when you work tov and you work what is good, you build the kingdom of God wherever you go. It is that, that beginning purpose that we have that is being made new even now because of the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that we experience today. That reason that we're still here. The power that we have every day by the Spirit. 
establish what is God's kingdom. This is the Jesus narrative, the Jesus shadow, the Jesus story that we see that Jesus has made all of this possible. There was good, there was something that was lost and now Jesus is creating it again within us today. And if anyone is in in Christ, he is a new creation. The creation at the beginning that we now experience in this new creation, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, speaking light into darkness, has shown now in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This grand story, this grand picture of the Bible is about God and it is pointing us to Jesus. The story of the Bible points us to Jesus as our Savior and to God who is restoring humanity back to the garden. It is in this beginning that we learn and we discover the person of Jesus and who he is. And so I want to close before we go to the table by reading a New Testament passage that you will find reflected in the Old Testament in Genesis 1. We find in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, we find similar language. We find similar connecting points being drawn from the very beginning to now the beginning that is afresh and new through Jesus Christ that we live in today. It is by the word, the logos, Jesus, that we find new creation. It is find that we find the entire story of the Bible makes sense. So as I close, I just want you to listen with me. Listen to John 1 as if you're hearing this for the first time. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here, now, because Jesus has come, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. However, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and to his own people did not receive him. But to all, (laughs) to you and me, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ.